Jesus stood before a large crowd and he began to teach them in a parable and it sounded something like this. If any one of you hears these words of mine and does them, you're like someone who is building a house. And that person builds their house on a rock, a sturdy, stable foundation. And then when a storm comes and the waves begin to crash against the house and the winds begin to blow, the house will stand strong because it's built on a solid foundation. But if any one of you hears these words of mine and does not do them, then you're like someone who builds a house, but they build their house on the sand. And when that same storm comes, when the same winds blow, and when the same rains begin to fall, that sand, because it's not held together, begins to shift and move. And as it does, the entire house falls down around them. And with that parable, Jesus is teaching his audience, reminding his audience, and reminding us as well, that he didn't come to establish a philosophy or a worldview or an ideology. But Jesus came to establish a kingdom. And kingdoms are not passive. They require action. And so that means for anyone who's here today and anyone who heard those words of Jesus, if we believe in Jesus and trust in him, if we belong to Christ and because of that belong to that kingdom, we must be active as well. There's no such thing as a passive member of God's kingdom. And as we continue to look through this series in the book of Luke, as we go through all of the teachings that Jesus lays out through Luke's gospel, and we see Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God, we're also going to see many times where Jesus tells us who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live. The things that we should be doing as members of his kingdom. But where do we start? There's so many things that Jesus calls us to do. There's so many places that Jesus calls us to go. And so where do we begin taking these initial steps of being followers of Christ? How do we lay our foundation? That's exactly what we're going to see this morning as we look at Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 49. We're going to look at how Jesus teaches us to lay the foundation of a life in the kingdom as he gives us some basic truths and virtues that we can put into place so that we live in a way that reflects the kingdom of God. This morning, we're going to look at the first steps to answering that call that Jesus gives in the parable to be not only hearers of his word, but to put his word into action and live like kingdom people. And so from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 through 49, this is the word of the Lord. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. 
First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building his house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and it could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who's built his house without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you so much for the grace and the mercy that you give us so freely. God, as always, we do thank you for your word and the instruction that it gives and the life that it brings. And so today, Father, especially, we ask that you help us to not only be hearers of this word, but that we put it into practice, that we live it out, that we do your word, that we live like people who belong in your kingdom. And help us as we see these foundational truths that we can build a Christian life on, help us to see their value and their importance, and help us to make them a priority each and every day as we go about our business. And may you be glorified through all we do. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. The first thing that we see in this passage, the first foundational thing that we can put into practice in our lives as followers of Christ is that we should act in anticipation. We should always act in anticipation. When I was a kid, I used to love the board game Mousetrap. Does anyone play Mousetrap? Anyone know what it is? I don't know if it's still a board game. I meant to ask Drew, who is our resident board game consultant and has many board games. Now, when I say that, I'm worried that you might think that Drew has a lot of board games, but that would be incorrect. Drew has, I believe, all of the board games. And I didn't know this until one day I just I was over at his house. We were going and grabbing dinner or something, and he was showing me around, and I was seeing his bookshelves and all these things, and then we walk into this room, and there are things that look familiar to me because I recognize bookshelves, but I did not recognize all the things on them because it was all of, literally, all of the board games that have ever been made, I think were housed inside of this room, and so Drew is my resident board game aficionado, and I forgot to ask him if Mousetrap is still a game, but I'm going to assume it is, but I loved Mousetrap when I was a kid. The weird thing is, I'm not sure that I ever actually played the game. I don't remember what the premise of the game was. I don't remember how you played. I don't remember what you were trying to do or trying to achieve. I just remember that you could set up the board, and it was this amazing Rube Goldberg kind of thing where you pushed a ball, and then it set into motion all of these amazing things, and it would knock over some dominoes, and it would hit these things and move a ball somewhere else. And there was one part, it was very strange and a little sadistic, where it would shoot an old man wearing very little clothes into a bathtub. It was very hard to watch, but I enjoyed that part especially, and then it would bring down a cage on top of some mice, and I love just watching it over and over and over again. 
Because there's something enticing and alluring about watching these kind of cause and effect systems. There's something very satisfying about watching dominoes fall and roll into their place. Because we learn something really true about life. There's something that resonates in us because we understand that every cause has an effect. And that when one thing happens, it always sets in motion a series of things that continue to take place. As we've been talking about the kingdom of God, we've been made very aware about the beautiful nature of salvation. That the kingdom of God is different because there is no entrance requirement. You don't have to be a certain kind of person. You don't have to do a certain kind of things. You don't have to have a certain amount of money. You don't have to come from the right place or even have lived the right life. That salvation comes to us by grace alone through faith. That Jesus gives it to us completely free of charge, and we don't have to do anything to earn it. And that is a really beautiful concept inside of Scripture that sets Christianity apart from any other religion or worldview in the world. But sometimes, the understanding that salvation comes by grace alone can affect our actions. Because we start to believe as Christians that our actions don't matter. That our actions don't have any real weight or consequence because Jesus did everything for us that we need through the cross. But the reality is, all throughout Scripture, we see that even though entrance into the kingdom is completely free of charge, that once we belong to Christ, there is an expectation that we live and breathe and move in a certain direction. And that we realize that all of our actions have reactions. As members of the kingdom of God, everything that we do has some kind of effect on the world around us and on our lives as well. And so that's where Jesus begins as he's laying out this foundation for living the Christian life. He says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Everything Jesus says here has a very cause and effect relationship. And we see that Jesus establishes a kingdom where earthly actions bring about heavenly heavenly rewards. And so because of that, it's our responsibility to live our lives in a way and act in a way that anticipates what God is going to one day do for us. And so let's talk about some of these individual things that Jesus tells us to be careful to make sure that we're either doing or not doing. And he starts by saying, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Now, this is kind of a crowd favorite. This is one of those that you can just read this passage of Scripture, and you'll get a lot of amens from the congregation. But they're usually a very peculiar kind of amen, where you can see someone say, amen, pastor. I love this passage of Scripture because you know who needs this? Susan. Susan is a judgy, judgy person. I had to make sure there was no Susans here. I don't think we have any Susans here today. If you are Susan or your middle name is Susan, then I'm very terribly sorry. But that's normally the idea that we kind of cut our eyes at somebody else. You know, like, hmm, she needs this more than I do. I know this guy over here happens to be a pretty judgy joker. And so he is, Pastor, it is really good that you are preaching this sermon today because I know there are a lot of other people in this room today that probably need to hear this message because I feel very judged a lot of times. Here's the problem, though. This verse is not for someone else. It's for you. It's for me. Jesus is telling us this verse individually. 
And when we hear this verse, it's supposed to resonate about the judgment that takes place in our hearts, not the judgment that takes place around us. And that is much less a mini. It's not quite as awesome to have to recognize that discrimination that takes place in our hearts and the condemnation that we give to other people. Now, as an important disclaimer here, and we're going to have a couple of those as we look at some of these things that Jesus teaches us. This is not telling us that we should not have discernment or that as followers of Christ, we're not able to look at things around us and make a judgment that something is either right or wrong. This doesn't mean that we have no voice to speak about things that are happening in our world that are against God's word or against the judgment that God or the justice that God has set in place. Because just like we're called not to judge, we're also called to be people of justice who want to see right thi- wrong things righted in our world. But this is calling us to recognize that we are a critical people. Maybe some of us to different degrees than others. But all of us at some point in time look at some other people with judgment in our hearts or with condemnation in our hearts. And the reality is, for a lot of us, most of the time, love and encouragement tend to take a back seat to fault finding. And we can see this happen in real time in our lives now. Because of the way that social media and the internet works, we can see people rise to fame and prominence in our culture really quickly. And the first thing that happens when you have someone who comes out of nowhere to be in the public eye or the public square, are there people who are ready at their, at their keyboards or with their thumbs just blazing, hopping on every form of social media and every background research they can find to find some way to discredit this new person who has come to light? Because there is something about us that when we meet somebody or hear about somebody or think about somebody, there's something in us saying, what's wrong with you? What's, what's, what's in there that makes you tick, that is broken, and that I can look at and somehow elevate myself a little more by putting you down? When my oldest daughter, Josie, was younger, she had this little pair of toy binoculars. And she was kind of learning how the binoculars worked, and so she realized when you look at one side, everything gets bigger, and when you look at the other side, everything gets smaller. I don't know why I'm explaining how binoculars work to you, because I imagine that most of you know how binoculars work. But it was really adorable when she would do it because she would hold up the one side that magnified everything and she would change her voice to match what was happening with what she saw. And so when she had the magnifying side up, she would say, everything's big. And then she would turn it over to the other side and would go, everything's tiny. And she would do it over and over again and it was amazing and cute and wonderful. And when people look at us, we want them to look at us with the everything's tiny. And to see all of our faults, to be very small and hopefully to miss them. But a lot of times we feel that it's perfectly acceptable when we look at someone else to take out the everything's big and see all of those faults magnified so that we can point them out and see them. But Jesus tells us that things don't work that way. He says here in this passage that you should judge not and you will not be judged. You should condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Jesus tells us that we have to learn to judge the way that we want to be judged. To look at love and mercy and kindness over hypercriticalism. To put away the magnifying glass, and to look at people first with compassion and heart filled with Christ-like admiration. Then he moves on and tells us that we should forgive and we will be forgiven. 
Now, again, a lot of times we look at this in, an, in a backward sort of way because we think, okay, I'll say I'm sorry if I've wronged someone if they say they're sorry first because they've wronged me too. Or I'll forgive them if they're willing to forgive me. And we look at forgiveness as a very conditional thing, unless, of course, it's dealing with God forgiving us. Because we want God to forgive us completely and totally without condition. And at times, it can be very easy to take for granted or take advantage of God's forgiveness because we have the ability to do that. Because we know that if we put our faith in Christ, that God has forgiven us once and for all and forgives us over and over, and his mercies are new every single morning. But how can we receive forgiveness and then offer none? The reality is we can't. If we've been truly forgiven by a loving and compassionate Savior, then our lives should reflect that. And so to help us to realize the importance of that, Jesus takes the order of how we normally see this and flips it on its head and says, forgive and you will be forgiven. And that is horrifying. Because we have to ask ourselves the question, what if God forgave me the way that I forgive others? So we must at all times forgive in anticipation of how we want to be forgiven. And if we can trust and believe that one day we will stand before God and we want to be totally and completely cleansed and forgiven of all that we've ever done, then we need to be ready to forgive in that same way to anyone who has wronged us. And then Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Now, most of you may know, I have spent the past couple years trying to really cut down on the amount of sodas I drink. It was spring break this week, so I was a little loose with it. I might have had a few sodas this week. and might have enjoyed them greatly. But I'm trying to cut back on the sodas. I've done a really good job about it, I think, and I've cut them mostly out of my life. But I need to tell you that I deeply and passionately love soda. I love soft drinks so much with all of my heart. And I've learned some spiritual truths from drinking soft drinks. So when I go into a place where I get to fill my soft drink, I have a very specific system in which I do that. Because, as you know, soft drinks are carbonated. Again, binoculars make things big. Soft drinks are carbonated. I'm teaching you very deep, important things today. And so with the carbonation, you know, you fill it up, and then it rises with the bubbles, and then it falls back down. And so what you can do, if you want an expert opinion here, you can fill it up all the way to the top, and your bubbles bubble over. And then if you kind of put your finger on the top of the bubbles, it starts a chemical reaction that makes the bubbles dissipate faster. And so it brings them down to about three-fourths of the cup, and then you can fill it up again, and there's more bubbles, and you do the finger thing, and it goes back again. And if you do this about three or four times, you can get a totally filled cup of soft drink. I've also noticed that when I go somewhere and the people that are working in this facility fill it up for me, they do not put that same effort into my soft drink. And sometimes I will get my soft drink and it'll be about three-fourths of the way full because they just did it the one time and they didn't care where the bubbles went, probably because they have a supervisor over their shoulder saying, make sure you don't give away too much of our precious soft drink. And so then instead of having a full soft drink, and yes, they're normally about this big when I get them, if we're being honest, I have a three-quarters of the way full soft drink and I'm much more sad. When we receive, we want to make sure that we get as much as possible. But sometimes it can be difficult to give that way because we can have a tendency to be a little stingy. And now sometimes stinginess comes out of pure greed where we just want to take as much as we can and don't want to give any away. But I think most of the time, 
our stinginess can come out of fear. Because we feel like if we give too much away, then we're somehow going to have less than we need. But Jesus has told us over and over again through the book of Luke that the kingdom of God is all we need. And that in Christ, we have more than we could ever ask for. And not only that, but one day, we will be given our ultimate reward when we are with Christ forever and have more than we could ever need or ever fathom. And so because of that, it is our calling to be generous people, to pack it in for other people, knowing that God will give us all that we need. And I love the language here about how God gives to us. And I think about this with flour. Because he says, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, and it'll be put in your lap. And so, you know, you can take a cup and you can just pour flour in there and you can fill it up nicely. Or you can pour the flour in there and then take something heavy and flat and push it down and pack it in. And then you have more room. And God says, when I give, that's how I give. I don't just fill your cup, but I press it down and I shake it together and sift it all to the bottom and then I put more on top and then I let it fill and run over. And so if that's the way that God gives to us and if that's the way that we expect that one day we will receive our full reward from God in heaven, then that's the way that we should give to others as well. Not looking for loopholes or easy way out, but when we give to do so generously, packing it in and allowing it to run over for those around us. And so we see here that it's our call to act in anticipation and to do for others what we expect to receive from Christ. And that's a basic core principle of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. But not only are we called to act in anticipation, but Jesus also tells us that we should lead by following. I don't know why I'm being just extra confessional this morning about all the weird things that I do, but I have a certain level of performance anxiety when it comes to leading people to destinations. You know what I mean? So there's three or four of us in line with cars, and somehow I'm the guy at the front trying to lead someone to the destination. I very much don't like that because I don't know what to do at yellow lights. Should I gun it or should I hang behind? Because what if I leave somebody behind and then that's going to be awkward and they're going to have to call me and I'm going to have to tell them where they are and I'm going to have to pull over and wait for them to get there and then we're all going to have to pull over in the line and then keep going. Or as often happens to me, I take a wrong turn and then I realize I take a wrong turn and so I have to find some sort of very large parking lot and then we all drive in and then they're not knowing what I'm doing but now we're turning in this place and then you do that loop around the parking lot where for just a moment you run parallel to one another and you make eye contact and you just feel the judgment as they think, oh, why is he leading us? I am not good at directions. And so I should not be leading people places. And a lot of times in the Christian world, that's what it kind of feels like. Jesus says here in this passage of scripture, he says, can a blind man lead a blind man and will they not both fall into a pit? And that is a very just harsh ending to that parable. But a lot of times Christianity can look like the blind leading the blind. Because what tends to happen, and there's a lot of pressure on us to do this, is we begin to take our eyes off Christ and we start looking for things that make us feel like we're doing better at living some sort of Christian life that we've created. So we take our eyes off Christ and we start trying to lead and we follow people who make it look like an easy way to be a good church person, right? 
Or we start just trying to be someone who follows all the rules and does life the right way. Or maybe we're distracted by political affiliations on one side or the other. And we start following each other around and we're all just chasing our tails because we don't really know where we're going. But Jesus says here, as he continues this parable, that a disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he was fully trained, will be like his teacher. And right there in that one tiny passing sentence, Jesus tells us exactly what the end goal of the Christian life is. It's not to appear more Christian. It's not to be a better church person. It's not to meet some sort of arbitrary set of standards. Jesus says the end goal of the Christian life is that we will be more like our teacher, that we will be more like Christ. And if that's our destination, then that's where we have to constantly keep our eyes fixed. That everything that we do, every step that we take should be leading us in a direction that looks more and more like our Savior. But the problem is is that this takes time and work. And there's a pressure inside the church. We use phrases like being on fire for God, whatever. That that just sounds also sometimes kind of horrifying. When we really think about the language we use sometimes, it's very alarming. But there's this pressure to be on fire for God and have this passion and this zeal and to be a good church person or to meet this right standard for God. And there are shortcuts to appear that way. We can have temporary experiences that give us these good feelings like we've arrived, and so we can take those loopholes and get to that place. But this idea of looking like our teacher, this idea of looking like Christ, that's something that takes daily dedication. It takes time, and it takes work. And now it can be easy to read this passage and think, okay, well, then maybe I don't need to do anything in church I certainly don't need to be on stage. I don't need to be leading people. I don't need to be, you know, taking any kind of role or responsibility. But Jesus isn't calling us to be a hermit or to be afraid of doing anything for the kingdom of God. But he's telling us that as we work and as we lead, whatever your giftedness is, whatever place you find yourself serving in the church, wherever, whatever form of leadership you find yourself in, it's our job to lead people to Jesus. It's our job to take people on a path that makes all of us closer and closer to being like Christ. And again, this takes diligence. It takes daily getting in the word of God. It takes daily spending time in prayer. It takes a deep understanding of who God is. It takes being around other Christians and learning from other Christians who are following after Christ. And even though it's hard and even though it's difficult, I genuinely believe that Christianity would be a better place if we stopped worrying about being on fire and started worrying about being faithful. Started seeing the beauty in the day-to-day things that lead us in the footsteps of Christ and make us more like Jesus every day. Because think about how beautiful a church would be and a world would be where we have a bunch of people faithfully following people who are faithfully following Jesus. That was Paul's whole motto, right? Follow me as I follow Christ. And Paul says, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Christ. And so you can know that wherever I go, I'm heading straight towards Jesus. And so you can fall in line and I will take you there. 
And so we need to find those people in our lives and those people in our churches who are following Jesus. And we need to get in line and follow them. But also we need to be aware that as we are walking towards Jesus, we need to take people along with us and lead in a way that takes people to Christ. So that at the end of the race, we will all look more like Jesus than when we started. Because we not only act in anticipation, but we need to lead by following Jesus. And then finally, Jesus says that we need to learn to see clearly. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Am I the only one that visualizes that? just in a really awkward, intense way. I've cut my eyeball on three separate occasions in my life, and it is a very weird thing about me, but it's also very true. And I know how just terribly uncomfortable it is to have something or to have a cut in your eye, and this passage just makes me kind of a little queasy and uneasy and gives me that cold sweats a little bit because you have a lot of blood vessels in your eye. I learned this because I almost passed out in the eye doctor's office because when they they were scraping some things out of my eye, this is really pleasant, and I I just almost passed out because you have all these blood vessels in your eye, and then when you have the right pressure, it can cause all the blood vessels in your body to open up at once, and you pass out. It's weird. It's crazy, and so this is a very graphic thing that's happening here that Jesus is using to compare this to, but there's a deep intention for that. But this is another one of those passages of Scripture, much like the whole do not judge thing, where we read this and we're like, yes, I love this passage of Scripture, but out of my life. When somebody comes and they start to talk about things that are going on, this is the passage we quote. Right? Oh, huh. So I noticed you see a speck in my eye. I noticed that you as well have a log in yours, and so you need to butt out of my life because Jesus said so. But here's the problem. The kingdom of God is a community. And there are no privacy fences in the kingdom of God. There is no place where Jesus gives us the permission to be separatists and isolationists and to remove ourselves from other people. In fact, we're called to at times when necessary to be that voice of truth in someone's life and to have other people be that voice of truth in our own lives when things are going awry. And so what is Jesus saying here? What's the meaning of this passage of Scripture? Jesus isn't giving us a condemnation of correction. He's not telling us that we're not allowed to have any voice in other people's lives or people aren't allowed to have a voice in our own lives. But Jesus is calling us here to a place of introspection, to looking inside. He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye when you have this log in your own eye? You need to be aware of the fact that there is something wrong going on in your life. He says there is something taking place in your life that is causing you to not be able to see correctly. And so what you need to do is you need to deal with that log in your eye. You need to make sure that you take care of the sin that's going on in your own life and remove that from your life. And then you can see clearly. Then, once you've dealt with the problems that are going on in your own life, then you can see clearly to come to your brothers and sisters and to deal with the speck in their eye. He uses that H word in this passage that's very difficult to even think about. But he says, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. 
And this is a warning for us to fight hypocrisy. And a lot of times we can think that the best way to fight hypocrisy is to avoid any instance where we might find ourselves in that, and so we just keep our mouths shut. Or maybe we think that the way that we fight hypocrisy is with legalism, thinking that we have nothing wrong. But Jesus is saying here that the way that we fight hypocrisy is with honesty. To deal first with our own sins so that we can deal with our neighbors in a way that is more focused, more humble, and more Christ-like. I don't want someone with a log in their eye sticking their fingers in mine. It would be deeply troubling and disturbing, and they would probably miss. Because when you have one eye, again, I'm very experienced with this, when you only have one eye going on at the moment, your depth perception is very off. And so that, that poke in your eye would be very unpleasant. And so I don't want someone with a log in their eye trying to take something out of mine. I don't trust myself if I have something in my eye to do anything to help someone else out. But someone who knows the pain of log removal someone who knows what it feels like to deal with sin and difficult situations, I may be a little more open to that. Someone who I know has experience and can see clearly, that may be a little more easy to palate. Correction is never easy. None of us enjoy having someone tell us when things are going wrong in our lives. But this certainly helps. And if we begun living with this kind of clarity in our lives, where we have lives that are committed to self-evaluation and confession and accountability to daily deal with our own sins, and then we're going out and dealing humbly with one another and passionately and compassionately and even empathetically with one another, that makes the church a much safer place to be vulnerable and a much safer place where we can do what we're called to do in Scripture and confess our sins to one another and trust that our brothers and sisters in Christ are going to deal gently with us but also help us to get in a place where we are more and more like Christ. And so we have to learn to see clearly by laying this foundation of personal confession and accountability, of listening to the voices in our lives when someone comes to us saying, hey, this might not be how you need to be living. Hey, this isn't something in your life that honors and glorifies God. This is something that needs to be changed. We need to hear those voices, be it from the Holy Spirit or the mouths of the people in our lives that we trust and we love, and then deal with our sins so that we can do the same for others as we do that iron sharpening iron thing that Scripture calls us to do by not only encouraging one another when we're down, but also helping one another when we struggle. So we have to act in anticipation and lead by following so that we can see clearly to do the work that Christ is calling us to do. And after he gives us this foundation, he says, For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus says here, listen, what's inside is going to come out. 
And the way that you live and the way that you act is going to teach the world around you about what lives inside of you. And so if the kingdom of God is in your midst, if the kingdom of God is inside of you, then you need to be putting the kingdom of God out in the world. If you've been saved by grace, by a forgiving God who judges you gently because of the work of Christ, then we need to be going out into the world forgiving and loving and serving and judging the way that Christ does for us. Once we have received salvation from God, it's our job to lay this foundation and to go about the daily work of Jesus so that the fruit that we produce will reflect the kingdom that we inhabit. And again, this requires faithfulness. The daily grinding to be more like Christ, to read God's word, to spend time in prayer, to be in church and to be in Christian community and allow other people to teach us and lead us and guide us as we do the same for others. And it's in all these small things that we lay the foundation to do the big things that Christ has called us to do. And so let's start here. Acting in anticipation, leading by following Christ, and being incredibly introspective so that we can see clearly to do the work that God has called us to do. And let's build a life that is built on the rock of the gospel. So that when people see it, they will know the truth of the kingdom of God. They will see the beauty of the God who saves us unconditionally. But also when we find ourselves in difficult times, when the floods come, when the storms rage against us, then we will be able to stand on that pure foundation that comes from the word of God and a life lived reflecting and honoring everything that he tells us to do. Let's put the work in to build this foundation so that the life that we build on top of it will be one that reflects the good news of Christ in every season and everywhere we go.